Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back, everyone. Well, maybe not everyone. Um, I'm flying solo today, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, my partner, both in business and in crime, and my co-host of this podcast has gotten called away. Um, for important duty. So he's elsewhere and uh, he's here in spirit, but uh, I'm going to do my best to fly solo. And thankfully we have a guest, so I will not be completely solo. I'm going to try to turn it off over as much as possible to the expert. Um, and it's, we have an interesting guest today because it's different than what we typically address on this podcast, which is really solely focused on how, t- how lawyers can leverage their expertise convert it to thought leadership content and get that thought leadership content out into the marketplace of ideas to garner uh, awareness, recognition, um, reputation, and ultimately new business opportunities. Um, So a lot of our focus, as the listeners here know, is is on specifically thought leadership. And I was connected to our guest by a mutual acquaintance, Roy Sexton, who is the director of marketing at uh, Clark Hill. Don't hold that against me, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> well, vice versa, right? So uh, hopefully Roy's listening and we'll get a chuckle at that. But um, I'm grateful that he did connect us because um, it was just a, an innocuous comment on either a blog post I had written or a previous episode. And he tagged you, tagged me, tagged my partner, Jay, and said that we should meet. And at first I thought, well, geez, is this, is this a connection to what we do? And the more I thought about it, the more I think it is. And I'll tell you why, and then I'll introduce our guest, Jeffrey Bunn, uh, also known as the Mindful Law Guy, because we're going to talk about mindfulness today. And how does mindfulness connect to thought leadership? Well, in my estimation, if you are a thought leader, you are the sort of the, the, the North Star for an industry segment or for marketplace. And for, you, for one to be a thought leader, one I think needs to, in the face of adversity, anxiety, distress, exhibit calm, um, exhibit, um, you know, there can't be wild fluctuations. If you're a thought leader, you generally have a lodestar and you're, you commit to it. And that's why people turn to you as a thought leader. And it's tough, in my view, to be a thought leader if you're all over the place, if you have um, crippling anxiety, again, wild swings in either opinion, mindset, or just, you know, state of mental health. So I feel like what Jeff brings to the table um, is going to be helpful for all of our listeners who endeavor to be thought leaders, because I think there's something to being centered, being mindful, and I'm really interested and excited to introduce Jeffrey Bunn, the mindful law guy. You heard his voice chime in. He's an associate of not only mine now, who we haven't just met, but absolutely Roy Sexton. So thank you again, Roy. But um, Jeff is a retired attorney of 40 years. He is the founder of the Mindful Law Coaching and Consulting Group, which advocates, I'll let you explain this in your own words, Jeff, but you advocates for the incorporation of mindfulness and meditation practices as well-being tools for individual lawyers and collectively for law firms. So interested to hear more about that. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. I think the timing is also good for me. I, you know, here we are as we're recording this. It's the day before the 4th of July holiday. Um, I read somebody on LinkedIn, I think it was an attorney, who just encouraged everyone to unplug for this, for this weekend, if at all possible. And I think that's important to do, hard to do, um, but it's important to do it. So here we are. We have a guest who could probably speak to that, I'm guessing. But before we dive into that, 
Jeff, just um, exp expand on the uh, introduction I, I gave our listeners about who you are and kind of how you got to this place, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, the two-minute version, I'll try and keep it quick, is uh, I had been practicing law. I was a commercial litigator, state, federal court, primarily in Cook County here in Chicago, but really across the country. Um, and for the longest time was a kind of type A, drive hard kind of guy. Uh, I used to be a long distance runner. I loved it. Then I was walking the dog, slipped on ice, tore my meniscus, got scoped, couldn't run anymore. And being the compulsive person that I am, decided, okay, I'm not running anymore. What am I going to do? I'll try this yoga thing as kind of a low impact uh, alternative. So I found a studio in the Chicago Board of Trade, just a couple blocks from my office. Uh, started going to um, afternoon classes, uh, lunchtime classes there. Um, the guy who uh, owned the studio and ran it, uh, Vinny, was a, a super guy who used to be a trader, made his money and decided to heck with this. I don't want to do this anymore. He pulled me over uh, after class one day and said, you know, uh, are you into meditation? And I said, well, not really. I don't think I understand. He said, I think you'd be a good candidate for that. And I think you would enjoy that. Um, maybe here, he gave me some information about a couple of retreats, which I thought about for a couple months and then decided I'm going to do this. And um, for me, it was a life-changing event. It was great. Yeah. Interesting. So how long after that then did you go on to found the company? Build it business was around us. Probably five-ish years. Mm -hmm. um, I continued to do what I'd been doing forever, which was practice law. It's the only thing I knew how to do. Uh, I got really lucky uh, timing-wise. All my kids, my baby is thirty, so mm -hmm. he's everybody's out of the out of the house and off the family payroll and all <laughs> of that. And I was able to. Um, start thinking about the fact that, you know, as I said before, there were thoughts that I had, ideas that I'd been thinking about that I never really thought through to a conclusion because there was always work to cut, you know, in, in between. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take the leap and trust that the water will be there when I land. Mm -hmm. uh, a few of these thoughts. Uh, before I did that, I had been applying um, some things that I learned basically through meditation to my practice. And it was really, really helpful. So I thought, you know what, put the two worlds together. It's kind of a right brain, left brain thing. Uh, but actually the right brain has a lot to contribute to the left brain. Um, and maybe I can share that with other men and women in the legal profession, which I know. Um, and that's what I decided I wanted to do. And I'm really glad I have done that. Uh, it's taken a while. Lawyers are, uh, you know, renowned skeptics. And um, uh, where I thought quite naively initially that it kind of, if, if you build it, they will come. Right. Uh, yeah. Guess what? They didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> the silence, as they say, has been deafening. Uh, but really, um, <clears throat> that said, um, that was a bit of a disappointment. But for me personally, I, I kept coming back to these are practices. These are things that helped me personally and helped me professionally. And I'm just going to keep banging the drum. I'm going to keep banging the drum. Somebody will hear it someday. 
Well, and if I think if there were ever a moment for somebody be, to be open to something like this, it's probably now. And I'll just speak from my own experience. I, I hear the word anxiety a lot, you know, just talking to friends and yeah. associates, family members saying they're experiencing a ton of anxiety. Obvious reasons are there, right, with the pandemic and the uncertainty of the economic fallout from the pandemic. But there's other, I think, stressors. And I think, you know, the psychologists of the world are are studying what's happening now with in terms of our isolation and our confinement and what long-term effect those are having. So there's a lot of things, external stressors in the world right now. And, yep. you know, I'm, I'm not an attorney, but I am a, um, I'm a skeptic uh, by nature. And where it relates to specifically mindfulness or meditation or yoga or any of that stuff, I'm sort of like I am relative to my religious upbringing as I've become something of like a agnostic believer. Like I, I sort of believe in the, the, everything that the practice espouses, but I don't do it myself. Um, and it's not because again, I don't believe in it. It's just, I don't know, you know, it's the same reason I don't go to church. I, I just, I don't find time for it. And I think that's probably the first stumbling block that somebody, all right, they, first they have to become less of a skeptic to embrace the idea, but then it's like, how do I integrate something like this into my life? The skepticism thing is a big leap. Um, it's a big leap, which is why um, we'll get to this later. But if you go to my website, my, my kind of mantra is simple, secular, scientific. Because meditation in particular is really incredibly simple. Um, and there is a, just a boatload of science in the last 10 years or so. Technology has finally gotten to medicine and um, there are a number of people who've done some tremendous work in terms of the brain, uh, taking pictures of the brain as people are asked to respond to certain situations, uh, certain pictures, what have you. Um, the secular part is, you know, there, the roots in meditation or mindfulness are kind of longstanding and there's a lot of traditional uh, practice that has kind of a religious basis to it, which is scary for a lot of people. Um, and I understand it's actually a little bit scary for me, but I don't think you need, for instance, to believe in, um, you know, prestidigitation uh, in order to um, kind of, some people regard it as cherry picking the, the good qualities of focus, paying attention, productivity, basically, uh, and being able to manage one's thoughts or one's emotions. Um, those are more secular. They apply across the board. Right. Uh, the law, which is just the market that I've chosen, is one that's pretty obvious, but I think it applies pretty much to all of us. And um, I totally agree with you, Tom. I think now is a perfect time with the, the, the pandemic. I think it was uh, Winston Churchill who came up with the phrase, it never wastes a good crisis. Yes. Um, there's always something to be done with that. Um, our old mayor, Rahm Emanuel, kind of picked up on that uh, and followed through with the observation that a crisis uh, provides us all with an opportunity to do something that we couldn't do before. Um, and I think in the law business, that's very much the case, um, it, or in any business for that matter. Um, I think people, because they have spent a lot more time with themselves are needing or wanting tools to help them deal with some of the uh, stressors that come up. Um, and I think the idea of kind of re-entering the workplace, going back to our offices, mm. uh, is gonna give us all a lot of heartburn. There are gonna yeah. be 
a lot of moments and we all are going to, even if we don't know it yet, uh, feel kind of weird about some of the experiences or encounters that we have. And we're going to want or benefit uh, by having tools to help us deal with that, which is what mindfulness and meditation really are for me. Yeah, let's talk about that. Maybe clear away a little brush for someone like myself who is not entirely familiar with maybe the distinction between those two. Interestingly enough, um, a former business partner of mine was a Buddhist monk ordained at the I think the second highest level and had a Zen center here in the Metro Detroit area, taught meditation, taught sword arts, taught all kinds of things related to this. And here I am, you know, the Catholic boy raised, you know, where that was voodoo probably in my parents' estimation, right? But yeah. it was interesting to be exposed to it and to kind of see the effect that it can have on people, especially the secular among us um, or among them. I don't know if that describes me or not, but because it um, it can remove religion to a point to, to maybe remove some of that quote unquote scariness or if it's just hesitance, but um, people come in, I think from an avenue of maybe I want to learn meditation or I want to understand mindfulness. And I don't know that those are necessarily the same thing, but what are the, what is the difference? Are they the same thing? Are they always connected? Um, Give us, you know, give a novice a little bit of insights into what they can expect. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, For me, I'll speak for myself. Mindfulness and meditation are in fact different things. And the, the, the quick um, study or quick version of that is, in, in my lexicon, meditation is a means to an end. The end is mindfulness. So means to end. That's the way the, the lawyer brain works for me, yep. yeah. um, which I'll get to in a second. But mindfulness is, um, you know, it's an interesting kind of thing. It's a buzzword that people have heard so many times. It's been in the, the media for five, 10 years, uh, and it's just picking up more and more traction. And there are a lot of people who talk about um, it, mindfulness, without really understanding it. Um, With um, a lot of deference to the guy who kind of brought the idea of mindfulness from the East to the West, John Kabat-Zinn, who is just an awesome giant of a guy. He's a a tremendous um, person as well as a tremendous meditator. Uh, people started asking him to the point, well, what is mindfulness? To the point where he had to come up with a definition. His definition for me is kind of more educational. It's a little bit more formal or academic. His definition of mindfulness is it's a state of awareness uh, that uh, arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. Uh, we could spend a whole bunch of time unpacking that. But it's, it sounds to me, at least, uh, a little cold, a little bit, a, a little academic. Uh, I have my own definition, which is less educational academic, it's more kind of experiential. For me, mindfulness is, it's a natural ability that we all have. Um, and I, just to give you an idea, I've um, had occasion because of family situations to uh, spend a lot of time with my four-year-old grandson. Um, and in doing that, he, of course, he drives me crazy and, um, I'm spent when he's gone, but the way he engages with people or things or circumstances is real. All of a sudden the light bulb went up. I was like, dude, this is it. This is really right. what it is. And so I think of uh, mindfulness, which I'll talk about a little bit more as childish, not, not, not child 
I'm sorry, childlike, not childish at all. So it's encountering um, people, places, things, um, and engaging with them because because that's what that's what kids do. They want to know. They're learning, so they have to uh, engage with whatever, whoever they're dealing uh, with or confronted with in order to kind of take their measure of him or it or whatever it might be. So engaging with, with, with immediacy, with a sense of immediacy, not being distracted by, you know, mind wandering, whatever. Um, and without a preconceived notion as to what the outcome of this encounter is going to be, uh, and that, which is the kind of the non-judgment, non-attachment thing. And so I think of, of mindfulness for me is it is a natural ability. It is something we've all got. We all have to work um, because as we get older, we get further away from that. It's, it's something we need to work to recapture. And that's what meditation is for me, is a, the, a practice that allows me to uh, remind myself that actually uh, right now, this is the, the, the immediacy of, of our conversation, of whatever encounter I may be having, could it be walking the dog, it could be any number of things. Uh, it's really what it's all about. And um, while it's part of the, the, you know, adult human condition to have preconceived notions. Oh, I know where this is, conversation is going. I know what Tom's going to ask next. Yeah. I, you know, I know what the next, uh, next line is. Um, you it really, I'm, I get so caught up in that that I'm not just having a conversation with Tom, just having it with you. So that's, that's what it is for me. Interesting. So and and the big thing for me in the uh, law business with meditation is dealing with thoughts and emotions, not suppressing them, but letting them come, examining them, noticing them, looking at them uh, and being curious about it and then let it pass because it will. They, all thoughts, all emotions, some last longer or recur over and over again for a longer period of time. Um, for obvious reasons, that has more meaning to us. But to be able to let those, know, to know that we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions, uh, that we feel them, we have them, that's going to happen. As John Kabat-Zinn uh, said, one of my favorite things is, we can't stop the waves, all this stuff is going to come, but we can learn to surf. Uh, and I love that. To me, that's just a great image, because that's really what it is. Letting this stuff in, you know, riding it and then let it go. Uh, and to me in the professional world for lawyers uh, or for whatever our line of work is, being a, recognizing that thoughts will come and emotions will, will come, being able to deal with them, engage them and let them go as opposed to letting them rule us, overtake us uh, is a pretty good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. And, and the practice of meditation just helps make that more possible. For me, at least. And you wrote to me as we introduced ourselves to each other via email um, that, you know, so you just said uh, meditation is a means toward mindfulness, which is the end. Um, but they are part of a larger well-being movement. I want you to help define what well-being movement is in that the mind, um, there's a dichotomy at work with mind and body, right? So how Correct. does someone use meditation to help them practice a profession? Like, so is this... I think our lawyers want to hear, I think, obviously, maybe de-stressing is an outcome, but we shouldn't be focusing on the outcome. So how does all of this work to create a better legal professional? Well, a lot, a lot of people think, I get back to the, the analogy, the, say, the waves will come, 
but we can learn to serve. I mean, it's just that simple. Rather than engage in uh, strategies um, that are designed to avoid certain um, thoughts or certain impressions, just let those do what we need to do. Let those thoughts or emotions come, but know that there are, there are tools, there are ways to deal with them. Uh, and there was a great, a, a, a great uh, quote from a guy. He was a Viennese psychiatrist, also happened to be um, um, a Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl. He has a great quote that, that anybody that's listening uh, would be familiar with. Uh, Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And th that's what really meditation is, is for me is really all about is finding that space. And, and um, rather than reacting, the old knee-jerk reaction thing. Take a, take a moment, take a breath, um, and realize, recognize that there are, are different responses. It's not to say it's not there, that the aggravation or the pressure of, uh, or the expectation is not there, it is. But take that, find that space, take that moment, and then respond as opposed to react. Um, I think that's, that's a, a tremendous insight and any practice that could help, again, for professionals. Um, the, living in the moment is not always a pleasant thing. Tom could be my supervising attorney. I could be getting reamed out for a memo that I just uh, drafted this morning or a comment I just made a moment ago um, or a story about how I treated um, a particular uh, working peer. Uh, or, or how I might treat another work computer in the, uh, in the afternoon. Those are not pleasant moments. Um, so it's not that this is some kind of miracle cure. Finding out how to be in the moment is, it, it, it makes all these other things go away. Quite to the contrary. I think it makes uh, one much more acutely sensitive to the, what, the, what you're thinking and what your reaction, what your emotions are. But it, it provides you meditation provides you with a tool to, you know, wrestle with that. And in that moment, rather than, you know, just say something that you're inclined to say as a matter of reaction, just say something that's a little bit more deliberate, more thoughtful. Um, it, it, you know, you get into all these other characteristics that are really quite real, real the, the kindness, the empathy, the, the, the um, thoughtfulness, um, not only about yourself, about oneself, but also about, you, who I'm talking to, who I'm dealing with, what I'm dealing with. And that just opens up a whole host of um, choices that we can make about people, places, or things. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I mentioned to you, I'm not, I'm not an attorney, never have been. My partner was an attorney. And just as an outside observer, it, I observe attorneys to be spending much of their very long days reacting to things because there's something is due or we need to uh, formulate a response. And it might be strategic reacting, but it's a lot of reacting, right? And so there's, in things are so fluid and the, the stressors are so high that I got to imagine just the, the, the feeling of not reacting for a minute would give somebody calm and in, in peace. I'm curious, um, are you, where do you come down on, there's a billion apps now out there, Headspace, Calm, right? All of these mindfulness and meditation apps. Do you incorporate any of those into your program? Do you recommend them? I, I am personally not an app guy, but, but I understand that a lot of men and women 
do like apps. They need apps. Uh, it's the delivery system that works for them. And I say, go for it. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, I'm familiar with uh, Calm in particular because I'm a big kind of nature guy. Um, I think hiking, just being out in nature, um, national parks just blow my mind. Um, and for me, that's like moving meditation. I just love being out in nature. And a lot of what Calm is about, at least as far as I've experienced, is, is about this trying to bring that nature, sense of nature, the sounds of nature or the sight of nature into um, our, our work day world. Um, and if that, if that helps you get your um, place, your head in a place where it needs to be, then that's a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a great thing. Yep. Um, we mentioned a couple times that like the moment possibly being right now for lawyers to shed some skepticism, maybe at least explore this, uh, to, you know, hopefully embrace it. But can you speak specifically now, post-COVID, which hopefully post-COVID is coming, right now we're in COVID, can mindfulness and meditation help us reimagine the practice of law post-COVID? Yeah, I, I think that, that's a perfect way to put it, too, and think about it, is reimagining the practice of law. And I th my answer is, yes, it can. And it gets back to that never let a good crisis go to waste. It, a, a crisis like the pandemic we're in now makes us reflect. And I think specific to the law in particular, um, developing a, um, a culture of care, letting, letting people know that, that we on top know, and it's okay for all of you little people down at the bottom, however, the, the, tri the triangle of uh, influence and power is, is structured. Letting people know that, you know, it's not a sign of weakness to, to care about somebody or to be empathetic about somebody. It's kind of a, the lost art of uh, <clears throat> disagreeing without being disagreeable. You don't have to be. Uh, Tom, you and I could disagree about pretty much anything, but it doesn't mean that I wouldn't uh, talk to you or treat you with the respect that you're entitled to, that you're due. Um, I can still articulate a contrary point of view or perspective. And if I've, if, if I've done my homework, as uh, lawyers are, are trained to do, I'll be able to back it up with some um, experiences or data or observations, arguments, case law, whatever it might be. But I think the idea that um, we have to be, and this was a big part of what, what led me to retire too, is the ascendancy of, of stridency. There are so many of the younger seemingly lawyers, men and women I know, are, are much more strident and it is more personal. And you know what, dude, I, I mean, I just so many times caught myself saying, this is not personal. It is not about you. It's not about me. Um, you are engaged to represent your point of view. I'm engaged to represent mine. And that's fine. And we're, we're really, this is about educating each other and sharing um, some kind of insight. Uh, and you don't need to make it personal uh because it isn't and i, I just i just think a, a developing a culture that that permits one to uh kind of entertain that and kind of go there is a good would be a good thing yeah i love the idea of, be, of being able to disagree without being disagreeable you don't have to spend more than 30 seconds on pick a social media platform right where you see a lot of people disagreeing but at the heart it seems like the commitment is to be disagreeable and i think yeah, the whole yeah. world needs to embrace that distinction um but anyway that's my 
10 second soapbox. But you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned like a cultural adoption of this, right? So, and something you wrote was interesting. You posed the question is well being, you know, we talked about this well being, this full, um, complete well being initiative. Is it, a, you said, is well being a strategy concern or a cultural concern? And what's the difference? Or is it both? Well, there's a great um, PR quote um, that, that I'll get wrong, but the, the gist of it, which will be familiar to a lot of people, which is uh, if, if um, strategy meets concern, concern will kick strategies butt every time. And it's absolutely true. Culture is really hard because it gets inside of people. Uh, a strategy would be if we sit around a table, and it's where a lot of people where we just stop. Uh, I used to be on the management committee of um, one of my firms and um, the, the conversation about strategy is about how do we get um, uh, this, the Tom's group to get more in line with what we're doing. What are some, is, what are some strategies that we might pursue to do that? Who do we need to bring in? What kind of perspectives do we need to hear? What have you? As a, which is, is important, of course. But what it really comes down to is um, the idea of developing a culture which requires one to invest more than just intellectually. It requires to invest um, oneself emotionally um, every moment of every day. And the idea of kind of hanging out, walking down the hall, you know, sticking your head in somebody's door with a cup of coffee and say, hey, uh, let's, let's shoot the breeze, um, which in some places passes for uh, caring, but it really, it really isn't. I mean, everybody knows what's going on. Here comes Tom. He's coming down the hall with a cup of coffee in his hand. Yeah. Let's stick his head in. Yeah. Um, but for the record, I'm the guy in the office going, Oh God, no, I'm not the coffee cup guy. I'm the guy, I'm the victim. So <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> clarify that. Fair enough. But the, the idea of, um, you know, creating a culture is, um, it's a it's a lifelong endeavor, and it really does just involve um, a lot of modeling. I think is 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 what a lot of it comes down to is you know walk the walk. Is one one of my favorite quotes that's attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi, I don't know if you said it or not. Is be the change that you wish to see in the world. Be that be that change. Be that person. Um, and if you're that person, then you'll cause somebody else to. And blah 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 blah. Epidemiologically, we all know where that goes. Uh, but um, I think that the, the idea of um, developing a program for meditation or some classes about what's mindfulness and how to do it, that, those are kind of strategic concerns that get to the idea of creating the culture, it's creating opportunities to, for people to um, reflect. Because I think for the vast majority of us, uh, even people that I just don't, really uh and didn't when i was working with them really care to to engage um you know it, if the if the opportunity is presented to them they're probably going to do the right thing most of them they're, they're going to be they want to be that person they don't want to be the artifice that that we're trained to be become i don't think right no, I, I agree with you well, this has been uh, a great conversation. I appreciate your time, Jeff, and your expertise. How do how would a, a lawyer or a law firm? How do you typically get engaged to to help as a first step? And then let us know how we can find you. 
And we'll include oh, the info um, in the show notes. Working, working backwards, um, I'm not a big technology guy, but if you just search, search engines can find anything. If you search for the Mindful Law Group, you'll find my website. And there's there's a lot of information about not just me, but what, what I think um, mindfulness or meditation can be for lawyers. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of how to do the, the, the practicalities of that, um, I have actually the name of the, the company or the group is the Mindfulness, Mindful, Mindful Law Coaching and Consulting Group. Um, so the idea is coaching individuals. And, and I've taught a number of classes that have kind of uh, meditation classes that have gotten me uh, to develop a bit of a kind of a structure and a bit of a program that I think would appeal to lawyers. Um, and, you know, the consulting um, piece is helping law firms design programs, uh, make available opportunities to people uh, to do what they might not otherwise know or care to do. So that, that's really what it's all about. Great, great. Well, good. I'm hoping some of our listeners will look into that and contact you. Let us know if you uh, if you do get some of that action. Um, my partner, Jay, missed a good episode today. So, um, But we'll be back next week, and he'll be back with us, and we hope our listeners will too. And until then, um, hopefully people will find the mindfulness in the whatever it is that they're looking for, right? In the, in the midst of the chaos, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks again, Jeff, and uh, we'll talk to everyone on next episode. Thank you. Time and delight. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.